Welcome to the 144th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we will do our weekly division-by-division look at Major League Baseball and continue to talk about the NBA playoffs. So let's jump right in with that division-by-division look at Major League Baseball, starting, as always, in the American League East. In the AL East, the New York Yankees are currently in the lead in the division at with a record of 18-7. and seven. They were previously on, I think, it got up to at least an 11-game winning streak. Uh, they lost their last game, but they, uh, they're they 9-1 in their last 10 games. Uh, so pretty good for them. And that, in, in, even in that streak, they did win a series against the Blue Jays, despite losing their last game in that series against the Blue Jays and obviously ending their long winning streak. But overall, Yankees playing really great. Uh, best record in baseball so far. And then right behind them, you have the Tampa Bay Rays at 16-10. and 10, Two and a half games back. They've won four in a row, seven and three in their last ten. The Blue Jays, 16-11, and 11, three games back, although a lot of that's due to the Yankees and that winning streak that they were on and losing some games to them. They've done well. I think they've beaten the Astros two series in a row, so overall not bad at all for the Blue Jays. Then you have the Orioles, actually, at, at fourth. Uh, they are 10 and 16, eight and a half games back of the Yankees. And finally, at the very bottom of the division, tied with the Orioles for fourth, you have the Boston Red Sox. Uh, so Red Sox obviously having, well, having the most trouble out of any of these teams who are trying to be good. I would say if you told the Orioles that they would be tied with the Red Sox, either they would say we really had a good season out of nowhere or we're not doing a good job of trying to lose or wow, the Red Sox must be really, really bad. And unfortunately it is the last of those three. Uh, it is the Red Sox being really, really bad this year. That 10 and 16 start. I mean, look, I've said it many times. They really need to figure this out soon and turn it around because this division is not one for the week. You cannot have bad stretches like this in a division this stacked. It just will not work out long-term in the season and we're already seeing that the Yankees are already eight and a half games ahead of them, uh, despite only having played 25 games total this season. So it's just not something you can do, and yet the Red Sox have slipped down and allowed that to happen. And then I talked a little bit about the Yankees. I don't need to talk that much about Baltimore. I talked about Boston. So I'll move on to the middle of the division with the Rays and the Blue Jays. Uh, the Rays actually almost almost scoring as much as the Yankees, uh, 113 runs scored compared to the Yankees, 119. But the Yankees have a plus 49 run differential, 40 runs better than the A's uh, on the basis of the fact that the Rays have allowed 104 runs compared to J- the Yankees' just 70 runs in 25 games, which is a really, really good ERA, obviously, if you can't tell without even doing the math. Only team that has a better one is the Dodgers, who have only allowed 57 runs in 23 games. Uh, but... Overall, those two teams really dominating when it comes to pitching because the next best team after them, it's hard to find. I mean, I think it's the Cardinals at 78 runs allowed, but not really in the ballpark of either of those two teams. And considering that the Yankees have played uh, the same amount of games as the Cardinals, they played more games than the Dodgers. So the Dodgers runs allowed will go up a little bit. But look, the Yankees just nothing else to say about it. They have great pitching. The Rays somehow normally known for that good pitching, haven't quite, it hasn't quite been there that se- so far this season, but a lot of that's through the injury to Shane Boz. I mean, they're, they're dealing with some injuries. 
Uh, there's a lot of things that could be going their way currently that aren't, but overall the Rays are still, you know, they're just being the Rays. They're going to they're gonna stay in the divisional race. They have a 615 winning percentage. Normally that's good enough to win you a division. Uh, it, it's just that this season the Yankees have started on fire, so there's really nothing wrong with the Rays. They're playing their normal brand of baseball. It just so happens to be that they're in second place right now. Uh, and then right behind them, a half game behind them, are the Blue Jays, who, as I said, they have been playing pretty well. You know, they played the Astros a few times, played them well, uh, played the Yankees, and that's the team that's really kind of knocked down their record a little bit. But overall, nothing to be nothing to be mad about if you're a Blue Jays fan. Still a good start to the season, and they look like they're uh, heading into contention for the wild card at least, and still staying in it in the divisional race, even besides the fact that the Yankees have had that ridiculous winning streak, they're still in the race. So that should be a positive for them. Okay, let's move over to the American League Central. Where the Minnesota Twins are leading at 15-11 and 11 on the season. Uh, not quite the winning percentage of the leader in the East. Uh, and by the way, they would actually be fourth in the East if they were in that division. But overall, a lot of underachievers above that, or well... A lot of underachievers from teams that were supposed to be above them uh, to start the season. Uh, the White Sox, the big one, obviously, being under 500. Uh, and then even the Tigers, who I had as better than the Twins. Some people had the Twins better than the Tigers to start the season, though. So it's not too surprising that they're above them. It is surprising that the Tigers are at the bottom of this division. Uh, but let's go back up to the second-place team and go down it like normal. The Guardians are 12-13, and 13, two and a half games back. The White Sox are 11-13. and 13. Three games back, but on a three-game winning streak currently. Uh, and then you have the Royals, who are 8-15, and 15, five and a half games back. And the Tigers, who are a very, very bad 8-16 and 16 on the season. The worst mark in the AL. Very, very surprising early in the season. Uh, of course, they're not the worst team in the league because their uh, opposite league uh, central counterparts are pretty terrible. And I think you all know what team I'm talking about, but I'll get to them later. Uh, but the Tigers definitely probably the biggest disappointment to start the season if you want to go by teams who are actually supposed to be good. Uh, so it's not exactly a great situation for them. I am uh, definitely backing off them being a dark horse playoff contender. They've had just way too bad of a start to be in that conversation. Although one team did fall off enough for it to be for there to be a conversation because the Red Sox have been terrible. Uh, so one of these teams that wasn't supposed to make it at the beginning of the season will make it. Um, it doesn't seem like the AL East is going to get four teams. So I, I will say that is a positive. That probably will happen. Uh, it's just a matter of who that may be. But I'll move off of random unrelated topics and the bottom of the central. Let's talk about the top of it. Uh, the Twins getting it done with really good run production and pretty good pitching uh, while you're at it too. So very balanced effort to start the season. Uh, the pitching staff has definitely been the surprise because I think we all knew that they had a pretty formidable lineup. Uh, but the pitching staff being as good as it has been is a big positive for them and I would say somewhat of a surprise. Uh, and then, you know, you move on to the Guardians who they're sitting there only two and a half games back. That's not bad, but as we know, pretty much half of their lineup had ridiculous starts to the season. When you think of Stephen Kwan and Owen Miller and Jose Ramirez... And really, only one of those guys is supposed to be that good, that being Jose Ramirez. So I don't know how long everybody can keep it up for. I think Stephen Kwan can 
keep up some level of high-level production, not the level that he's sustaining it at right now, but I do think that he still can be a very productive player. Uh, and Owen Miller, I'm not so sure. I don't know that much about him, to be quite honest, so I can't really give an informed opinion about that, but I will say, even though the Guardians have had a good offensive start and their plus and run differential so far, they're still under 500. so it, it looks like they're going to kind of hover around 500, maybe a little bit under, maybe a little bit over for most of the season, and I don't really see them as a playoff contender. Uh, but the White Sox, on the other hand, they've won three in a row now. They had a very, very rough patch. They got A.J. Pollock back from injury. They're kind of figuring it out with their new pitchers who are, well, not new pitchers, but the guys who are kind of filling in for people who are injured on their staff. They need to figure out their new roles, and it seems like they've kind of started to do that. So the White Sox are starting to get it together a little bit. I still expect them to make the playoffs for sure. They might not win this division. I mean, it's possible the Twins keep playing how they're playing. They have enough talent to do so. So it's definitely there's definitely an ability for them to keep playing well uh, and the White Sox not winning this division. But there's also an ability for the White Sox to still make the playoffs regardless. Uh, but then you have the Royals at 8-15 and 15 who are pretty similar to the Tigers other than the fact that maybe not, not so high preseason expectations only thing that they had going for them really was getting Bobby Wood Jr. up into the major league system and having his having him play uh, his first big league season starting at the start of the year. And uh, we'll see how his Rookie of the Year candidacy goes. But with that, I'll move on to the AL West, where the LA Angels are currently in the lead. They are 17-10 and 10 on the season. Uh, look, we talk about it a lot. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about them first before I move on to the rest of the division, but... We talked about them a lot, that this is the team that always has all the talent in the world and never really performs. It looks like they're starting to perform for the start of the year. All it took was one of their stars to actually literally go out on the field and pitch and hit at the same time, like an all-star. Everybody makes all those jokes all the time that Mike Trout is the best player of all time, but even he can't save the Angels because at least he can't pitch, so he can only help them on the offensive end. And then Shohei Otani comes along to actually do both. Uh, obviously not a surefire Hall of Famer yet, not the go to baseball yet, but uh, definitely doing things that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Definitely something I've never seen. Uh, but look, he's he's been great recently on the mound after he got a little bit injured. I think he might have pushed back his start, but then had a great start against the Red Sox. And overall, everybody on the, on the A's is playing, uh, sorry, on the Angels is playing very well. And I think everybody is, is looking at Trout and Otani and they're saying that's what's carrying this team. But people don't realize that Taylor Ward's breakout year is one of the main reasons why this team is is so good. I mean, they would be very, very good without Taylor Ward being doing what he's doing so far to start the season. But it's really the guys that aren't Otani and Trout that are really bringing this team to a sustainable level of winning. Taylor Ward currently with a 368 average and 721 slug, uh, actually a higher war than Shohei Otani by one, so... He's been a much better player, at least to start the season, um, at least batting-wise. Obviously, Shohei adds a lot when you talk about his pitching, too. But, look, Taylor Ward has just done a great job starting the season. Six home runs, 15 RBIs. Uh, same number of home runs as Trout leads the team in home runs, or tied for the team lead in home runs. And then Jared Walsh also has 18 RBIs, so he is the le the team leader in RBIs. So while you have Mike Trout and you have Shohei, who are there is the big names. You also have guys like Taylor Ward and guys like Jared Walsh who need to be that good for this team to stay that good. And speaking about t speaking about a, a team with a bunch of guys who do their jobs very well, the Astros are in second place at 15 and 11. 
good pitching staff. Jordan Alvarez is a great slugger. They got Kyle Tucker, too. I mean, look, you could go up and down the roster, even with Jose Altuve having some injury struggles to start the season. This is still a very good roster. Yuli Gurriel, I think, led the league in hits last year, so at least I think he was up there in average. Michael Brantley's always up there in average with the average leaders, too. So, look, Houston's just got a great team so far. They still have injuries that they're dealing with, uh, but they're staying afloat, dealing with their injuries, and then when they get healthier, they might get even better. But I will say... So far, not a bad start to the season. Only back one and a half games of the Angels, who have had a really, really good start. Uh, And the Astros definitely still looking to competing for a playoff spot. Should be able to easily do so. I think they'll make the playoffs. And I think this is the division that we'll see one other wild card come from, in addition to uh, multiple teams from the East. But let's move on from the Astros to the Seattle Mariners, who are 12-14 and on the season, four and a half games back. They have lost four in a row, so they were cruising along nice and... The, actually, they're the opposite of the Astros and everything. The Astros won, have won four in a row. The Mariners have lost four in a row in their last ten. Mariners are two and eight. Astros are eight and two. And overall, somehow you get the Mariners in third, three games back of the Astros, four and a half games back of the Angels. Gotta admit, I haven't watched much of the Mariners this season. I've watched a little bit, a few games here and there, especially when I predicted their series. But uh, th- they're definitely a team who has the potential to be very good. But they haven't quite lived up to it yet, uh, and I think they're the dark. They're what they're in the dark horse category for playoff ca- uh, contenders. But we'll have to see if they ever if they end up making it all the way there. Uh, and then you have the Rangers and the A's at the bottom of the division. The Rangers at ten and fourteen, the A's at ten and fifteen, five and a half and six games back, respectively. The Rangers have won four in a row after a really really bad start, while the A's have lost six in a row after. What I said was a uh, an overachieving start that I didn't think could last very long. They have failed to sustain their level of play for very long, and now they're starting to look like the A's we thought they would be heading into the season. Okay, let's move on to the National League, where we will also start in the Eastern Division. In the NL East, you have the New York Mets, who I believe have the second-best record in all of baseball at 19-9, and uh, just behind the Yankees in that department. A plus 32 run differential, which is very good, but not the best. Still behind Milwaukee, New York, and the Dodgers. Uh, So fourth in the league. But, you know, they pulled off a miraculous comeback against the Phillies uh, yesterday. And that's kind of what everybody's talking about. It's interesting because, you know, there was the Nolan Arenado error earlier in the year that allowed the Mets to make a comeback in that game too. And it's, it's almost like everything's just turning around for the Mets. The team that was always the unlucky one, the one to blow all the giant leads and everything. Now it's the opposite. Now they're the team that has the offense. They're the team that's not going to underachieve. They're the ones who are making the miracle win. So look, it it just seems like everything's a little bit different for the Mets this year, uh, which is obviously a good thing for them. Uh, And that's the reason why they're currently leading this division. And that's the reason why they currently have the best record in the NL Uh, But moving on from them, you have the Marlins, who are somehow in second place still, despite being on a five-game losing streak. And the the Marlins have really been the definition of hot and cold this season. They started the season one and four, uh, you know, kind of traded out a few games, ended up five and eight. After starting five and eight, well, they won seven games in a row. But after after winning seven in a row, they've now lost five in a row. And somehow after all that, the Braves and the Phillies still have not managed to catch up to the Marlins. 
Marlins currently five and a half back in the Mets, despite that five-game losing streak, while the Braves are six and a half games back at 12 and 15, uh, five and five in their last 10 games. The Phillies are in fourth at 11 and 15, seven games back of the Mar- of the Mets. Uh, they are also on a four-game losing streak, five and five in their last 10, and at the very bottom of the division, you have the Nationals, who are nine and 18, nine and a half games back, three and seven in their last 10. I don't know what the problem is for the Braves. Look, sometimes, I mean, you, you could you could define it as championship hangover. I think that would be the best the best really description of what's going on with them. I don't think there's anything specific that you point to and say this is what's going wrong with the Braves. Uh, you could point to Ronald Acuna not being there. You point to a lot of things for the reason why. Fact of the matter is, they were under 500 heading in. Well, not necessarily under 500, but they weren't exactly. Uh, cruising along last year, heading into the, not even just heading into the playoffs, but for most of the year, they weren't going so well. And then Acuna got injured and that was really derailing their season. Remember they had to trade for Jorge Soler, Eddie Rosario, and also Jock Peterson. Uh, And now two of those three guys are gone. And Eddie Rosario had a terrible start to the season and is now out because of, I think he got LASIK eye surgery uh, to repair some vision issues that he was having. So look, they, they, they really just have not been the same team at all. And then Acuna's still been out. So all the guys they brought in to replace Acuna are now also out. And then he's been out to start the season. So now that he's finally back, they might get better again. But again, they still have Eddie Rosario out. So, uh, and they got, obviously they also get Marcelo Zuna back too. So that's a big, that's big news for them. Uh, and he's been playing very well this season. But overall, it, it's just hard to tell how they can exactly fix their problems, what they can do. I don't really know. They just kind of have to keep going and just, you know, see how it goes. I don't think there's anything specific that they can do. Uh, for the Phillies, uh, they can get a better bullpen. They tried to fix it in the offseason, didn't do a good enough job, evidently, uh, as we can tell by them blowing a six-run lead in the ninth to the Mets. Uh, they tried to bring in Corey Knable after, I think it was James Norwood, uh, blew the start of the lead, and then Canable couldn't close it out either. Uh, you don't get the sixth or seventh inning guy from an injured Dodgers team and expect him to be a top-end closer for a playoff team. It, it just won't work out. Most of the guys who were playing when the Dodgers had injuries last year are on teams such as the A's, so it's very clear <laughs> that, you know, I'm not saying Corey Canable is bad, but I don't think you can rely on him to be a top-level closer for a playoff team. I just don't think that's realistic when you're looking at you know the brave the Braves got the Braves now have um, Kenley Jansen from the Dodgers. The White Sox had Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks last season. Now the Dodgers have Kimbrell. Uh, obviously, White Sox still have Liam Hendricks. E- even you look at a team like the Guardians, who have Emmanuel Classe. There are a lot of good closers out there. Rysel Iglesias for the Angels. Every good team has a good closer, and yet, and really a good bullpen overall. And the Phillies just had failed to build that entirely. So. They got to figure it out, and uh, look, they're going to need, if they want to stay competitive, they need to figure out their defensive issues, and they need to get a better bullpen. I don't know how that's possible, but they if they want to be competitive, they're going to have to find some way to figure it out. And then when, in, the, in case of the Nationals, they just don't have much talent. There's not much they can do about it. But uh, overall, this is a very weird division. Uh, it, it's definitely clear that this is not, you know, people thought this could be the best division in the league. It's very clear that this is not the best division in the league. It's got to be the division, uh, the other East division, or it's the NL West, which we'll get to later. But 
Uh, yeah, this division does not... Once again, comes into the year with all the hype for best division, not living up to it at all. Yeah, I was going to say one division that is also not the best division uh, is the NL Central, so let's talk about it. Well, the Milwaukee Brewers are at 18-8. and eight. Definitely, definitely, you're right now that I'm looking at the standings. This is not even close to the best division, and they're really held down by one specific team that held we'll get down, to later. More than held. Uh, yeah, anchored down. Yes. Uh, but 18-8 and eight for the Brewers, a good start for them. They've won three in a row. They're 8-2 eight and two in their last 10. Really good run production and really good runs allowed. That is what you expect from a team with probably the best rotation uh, in the league. If it's not them, it's it could only be the Mets or maybe even the Dodgers, but... There's not. I don't think there's much of an argument. I I, I concede it to them even as a Dodgers fan. Uh, and then in terms of the offense, the Brewers have a good offense. They worked on the production by getting Willie Adamas at the trade deadline last year, uh, bringing in Rowdy Telez. They they've worked on getting better offensively. Uh, even trading away Jackie Bradley Jr. to get Hunter Renfro was another good offensive addition that they made that one this offseason. So overall, the Brewers got better on offense and it's paying off. Then you have the Cardinals in second place. Uh, 15 and 10, two and a half games back. They've started a few fights this year, but other than that, they haven't really uh, gotten into any fights with the Brewers yet for the divisional lead. But 15 and 10 is still solid to start the season. Uh, when you look at the rest of the NL, they're definitely in position to uh, contend for a wild card spot. And even if the season ended today, I believe they would have a spot. And also, if the season ended today, the Diamondbacks would only be a few games back of a playoff spot and the Rockies would get in over the Giants. So there are clearly many things that can change, uh, but the Cardinals looking like a steady squad in the NL for sure, uh, winning their last two and six and four in their last 10. Then you have the Pirates who honestly have not been as bad as expected. I don't have much to say about them because they haven't been terrible. I don't have much to say about them because they haven't been good enough to be really, really surprising. They're still 10 and 14. It's not great, but they're not as bad as I expected them to be. I, I will 100% give them that credit. Uh, and they're just ahead by one game of the Cubs, who are 9-15. and 15. They're probably a little bit worse than I expected them to be, but not enough for me to really ha- have that much of a take about it when we're, what, 24 games in the season for them? There's just not much to talk about. However, the team that's behind them, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the Cincinnati Reds, who are 3-22, and 22, the worst start since the 2003 Detroit Tigers, who ended up losing... Uh, an MLB record amount of games, I think it was 119 games, Uh, maybe it was 115, it was something in that range. Look, you don't want to be in that conversation with a team that lost a record amount of games for very, very obvious reasons. They've now lost nine games in a row, they're one and nine in the last ten, and as I was talking to you about, with the exception of the first four game series they had this year against the Braves that they split two and two, they are 1-20 this season, despite, other than that series. It is insane how bad this team is. And I also urge you, when you look at a team's record this year, if you're checking your divisional rivals in the standings, make sure to check how many times they've played the Reds, because that is a massive boost to their record. There are a few teams who I can think of, mainly the Rockies, who have played them more times than they should have already, and, you know, they can freeload off of those wins, but the rest of the season is what's going to define them. The six games you play against the Reds this year do not define how good you are. So if you played six games against the Reds out of your first, what, 24, you're going to look a lot better than you actually are in reality. Uh, and so far, that's the story for some teams. But look, the Reds are terrible. Uh, there's not much else to say about it. Joey Votto, I think, is the worst hitter among qualify or the worst, uh, the worst average hitter 
in among the qualified hitters in the league, I'm pretty sure is what I've heard recently. Uh, Tommy Pham started the season 0 for 39. He's been better-ish recently, but Tyler Stevenson's been injured. Hunter Green allowed seven home runs, uh, I think, yesterday. So, look, there's not much to this team at all other than the fact that pretty much everybody isn't that great. I I don't want to make a blanket statement like that uh, because there's obviously, even on terrible teams, normally someone's having a decent season. But when you look at it, Tommy Pham is leading the team in average at 247. So it's very clear that I was actually right. There is nobody having a good season on this team whatsoever. Um, But like there's just a lot of things that have gone wrong for this team overall. Their leader in ERA is is Tyler Malley, who has a 701 ERA. Uh, That is all you need to know about this team. Although, uh, look, there are so many things you could go into. uh, And then obviously... Last thing, I don't know why he said seven home runs. It was only five home runs, my bad, uh, that Hunter Green allowed in two and two in two and two thirds innings. Although credit to him, he did strike out everybody but one batter that he got out. The problem is uh, he didn't get many people out. He allowed nine hits and eight earned runs. So that is their top prospect, who has who as we know against the Dodgers threw thirty not a record thirty nine pitches over a hundred miles per hour, but. Once the Dodgers had seen it a few times, when she got to the third time around in the order, I think he ended up giving up, yeah, two earned runs in that game on on a Trey Turner home run. So overall, it's just, even the positives for the Reds come with very big asterisks, um, and they're just bad as a team. Three and 22 sounds bad, but do you realize that if this pace continues for the rest of the season, they'll finish 20 and 142? No, I didn't realize that, but uh, that's that's surprising that the t- I mean, even they, the Tigers have won, lost only what less than one twenty games won, on this pace. They've won twelve percent of their games. Yeah, that's pretty bad. That is, it's unconscionably bad. I'm gonna make I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say they don't win more than the, forty games. The Cincinnati Reds are gonna finish with above a twelve percent winning percentage. This okay, year. that that is not going out on a limb at all, but um. Want to do an over-under on their... Well, they're, they're remi- all I have to say is they're reminding me of the 76ers team, like, I don't know how many years ago that was, like, before Trust the Process came around. I think the year that led them to pick Embiid, they were... I, I want to say there was a point where they were they were in discussions for can they even win 10 games. Um, and that was... I, I do remember that when I was really, really young. But, uh, yeah, I, this team is bad. It's just plain and simple. They're bad. I'm going to say that they will finish... 40 games takes a lot for them. They have to they have to go win like three out of ten games from here on out. Wow, that's just a bad start. The good news is if they go on a three-game win streak, they'll double their win output for the year. All right, I think we beat that division and specifically the Reds to death. Let's move on to what may be, as, as you foreshadowed, the best division in baseball right now, the National League West. Well, it starts at the top with the team who was supposed to be the best team in baseball from the start uh, and has played pretty much up to those expectations. The Los Angeles Dodgers, who are 16-7, and seven, coming off a mini two-game series sweep of the Giants. They've won three in a row, six and four in their last ten. Ten and two at home. Best run differential in the league at plus 57. Least runs allowed at 57. Uh, everything's pretty much going pretty well for the Dodgers, other than a few injuries. But and some guys who aren't hitting. Yeah, but they've been able to make it, make it through it pretty well. And uh, overall, Dodgers doing what they should to start the season, uh, although... That's about to. We're about to see what's going to happen with that because the Dodgers now are going to play 31 games in 30 days starting tomorrow. Now that 
their game was rained out with the Cubs. They have two doubleheaders in the next 30 days and 31 games overall with just one off day uh, at some random stretch. But we'll see how the depth works there. I mean, obviously getting some guys back from the IL would be very, very helpful at some point in the span. Maybe calling some guys up. Maybe call, Maybe it's time to call some prospects up from AAA. You never know what will happen. Uh, but then you move on to the second place team in the division. Speaking of injuries, even without Fernando Tatis, it seems like Bob Melvin's the right guy for the job at manager for the Padres. 17-9, and nine, only a half game back of the Dodgers after all they've done. Some of that due to a somewhat light schedule to start the year. 7-3 and three in their last 10. But overall, nothing to really talk about with the Padres because as I said... They've had too light of a schedule to really take this start super seriously, but they've also played well enough that it's very clear that they definitely had an off year last year, and that's not going to be repeated, and then they're going to get even better when Fernando Tatis comes back. But let's move on to the team that maybe are definitely overachieving. Uh, that's the Colorado Rockies, who are 11-5 and at home, but 4-5 and on the road. Uh, so maybe when they stop playing so many home games, that 15-10 and record might change into a 10-15 and 15 record uh, on balance, and then they don't look so good anymore. But uh, overall, 5-5 five and five in their last 10. They've won two in a row recently, but they've definitely started to cool off from their very, very hot start to the year. Uh, they had their little moment in the light while it lasted. I think the Giants are going to get healthier, the Padres are going to keep playing how, they, how they're how they playing right now, and the Rockies are eventually going to fade out of this race. But speaking of the Giants, they're 14-11. They're three games back of the Dodgers. By the way, a very tight divisional race we have here. One of the best records in baseball only leads last place by four and a half games. Uh, despite, I mean, we just looked at another division where the lead is 14 and a half games. So uh, good for the Diamondbacks. I don't need to say that much about the Giants. We all know they're very injured. They've had a lot of problems. They were playing a, a, a not exactly a minor league lineup, but kind of a lineup where the top five guys are guys you expect and the top four guys you're looking at saying, who? Uh, against the Dodgers, so that's just not going to work when you have a rivalry series. The Dodgers are going to take that those games way too seriously to get away with playing those guys, and it's not like they chose to play them. They just have guys injured, but they'll get better when the injuries stop rolling in. And then finally, at the bottom of the division, you have the Diamondbacks at 13-13, which is a pleasant surprise. I don't think they're going to keep it up, but they've won three in a row, 7-3 uh, and three in their last 10, so overall, playing well to start the season uh, and I don't know if it'll last, but they played well. We'll, we'll, we'll see what, we'll, we'll see what happens in the rest of the season. That's all I got to say about them. Okay. Well, uh, that's all we're going to say about major league baseball. Let's move on to our final topic, the NBA playoffs. Let's start with Eastern conference semifinals and start with the Bucks Celtics series where the series is all tied one, one in game two, the Celtics won one Oh nine to 86 after the Bucks won game one in a similar score, actually, but Celtics, dominant. They just shot better. There's not really much more to it. Just as a team, they they played a better game. They obviously played way better on defense. But they, I mean, the Bucks still shot 46% from the field, uh, but 3 of 18 from 3, while the Celtics shot 46.5% from 3. They made two more threes on seven less attempts, uh, while also shooting 48% from 2. So, Pretty simple reasoning as to why Boston was able to win that game. Uh, but in the end, they take a 1-1 series tie into Milwaukee uh, for Game 3 of the series. All right, let's move over to the Heat 76ers series where Miami leads two games to zero. Miami won the second game of the series 
119 to 103. Obviously, evidently, these games are we're only covering through game two of every series to keep it even. And to have more to talk about on Monday and where we could go really, really in depth. Uh, but look, Tyrese Maxey had 34 points in this game. Harden had 29 and 4. Uh, Tobias Harris had 21, 4 and 4. But as a team, Miami was not able to do what the 76ers were able to do. Or sorry, other way around. Uh, 76ers were not able to be as efficient as Miami was able to be as a team, allowing Miami to win by 16, shooting 51% from the floor, 48% from three. Took very good shots overall. Bam Adebayo had 23 points. Uh, Jimmy Butler had 22 points. And, well, Jimmy Butler had 22 points, 12 assists, and six rebounds. Uh, Adebayo added in nine rebounds with his 23 points. And then Oladipo and Tyler Hero had 18 and 19, both off the bench. So very good outings from them. Uh, and then Hero had seven rebounds, and Oladipo had six rebounds. So really good production for the Heat from their bench. That is what we've come to expect from them as a team. Uh, but their rotations are definitely playing very, very well overall. Uh, and that, you know, they've just played well to start the series, and that's why they're very successful so far. Okay, let's move over to the Western Conference semifinals, starting with the Warriors Grizzlies series that's all knotted up at one game apiece. The Grizzlies won game two, 106 to 101. Obviously, this is the game that is now infinite, infamously known for Gary Payton's cheap shot. Uh, I would say probably pretty dirty play. Uh, and also, you have uh, Draymond Green getting elbowed in the face, too. So that's a very, very important thing that happened in that game. And look, a lot of injuries are not, are, they didn't help the Warriors at all, obviously. Uh, but we'll, we'll have to see how that affects them later in the series. Obviously, Gary Payton uh, had been defending John Morant a lot, and it was very important that he wasn't in the game. They kind of need him, and uh, they're not going to have him for the rest of the series. But Dylan Brooks will be out for Game 3 as he got suspended. For uh, him giving the cheap shot on Gary Payton. Oh, did I say it the other way around? So Gary Payton cheap shot. Let's make... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On the receiving yeah, end. yeah, well... He, as I said, he's out for the rest of the series, so I think it's obvious he didn't hit somebody and get injured for a whole series. Uh, but look, Steph had 27 in this game. Clay Thompson was cold, shooting 12 points on 5 of 19. Uh, Poole had 20 points on 8 of 16 shooting, but overall, no one really got it going enough for the Warriors to win this game. They shot 18% as a team from the three-point line. They will never win a game shooting like that with that team. And on the other end of the floor, John Moran had 47 points. Even though his team shot under 40% and just barely above 31% uh, from three, it was still not enough to beat the Warriors in this game. Uh, or, or Sorry, it was enough to beat the Warriors just because of the fact that Jaw had his 47. Uh, and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. fouled out of another game. So nothing's, nothing else is new on the Memphis Grizzlies side of things. Uh, other than Dylan Brooks now not being able to play in game three and obviously only playing three minutes in this game. Yeah, well, if the Grizzlies were ever going to win a game, it was this one with uh, with how how uh, Golden State was uncharacteristically cold for well, three points, three-point three land. But somehow, two games, you have no Draymond Green in one game, or for like, what, 20-ish minutes of one game, or, well, the whole second half of one game, plus a little bit of the second quarter, and the Warriors weren't shooting amazing in the first game, and then this game, they shoot ice cold, and somehow, even at home... The Grizzlies are only able to have a 1-1 series tie going to the Chase Center. I don't know how well that's going to go for them, but uh, I don't think it will go very, very well. But I'll just say that's not a good that's not a good thing when they had two games where they were pretty much handed opportunities 
and they couldn't cash in on them. They only cashed in on one. I They just didn't capitalize enough. Agreed. All right, well, let's move over to the other series where the Phoenix Suns lead the Dallas Mavericks two games to zero. Well, Luka Doncic was amazing in this game again. Actually, because of this game, moved ahead of Michael Jordan for the all-time playoff uh, points-per-game leaders. Uh, I, th- I don't know what the qualifying is on it, but he's definitely played enough games to have a quote-unquote playoff legacy so far, although it's still early in his career. Uh, but he had 35 points in this game on 13 of 22 shooting, 5 of 10 from 3. Uh, he had 7 assists, 5 rebounds, but Reggie Bullock had 16, and then Spencer Dinwiddie had 11 on 3 of 10 from the, off the bench. But no one else was in double figures. Uh, Jalen Brunson had 9 points on 3 of 12. They need Dinwiddie and Brunson to have more than 20 points if they're going to win games in this series. They just need production from guys not named Luka. It's pretty simple. They need the other guys to fill in because on the other end of the floor, you have Devin Booker with 30. You have Chris Paul with 28, both of them on above 50% shooting. You have Mikael Bridges, who who was 5 of 6 from the floor with 11 points. Then you have Jay Crowder, who has 15 points and 7 rebounds on 4 of 7 shooting. So the Suns just as a team, so efficient, so hard to beat when they shoot like that. 64.5% as a team, 52% from 3. You can't beat them when they play like that, and there's a reason why the Mavericks lost this game by 20, but look, Luka is going to need some help if they're going to win the series, uh, and well, really if they're going to win a game in the series, but they also need to play better defense. That's a major thing for them. Uh, Phoenix with 129 in game two, and in the game before that, 121. Dallas can't outscore them when they play like that anyway, because Phoenix is a great defensive team, so they're going to need to anchor it down on the defensive end first and then get some other production besides Luka, and that's the key to winning the series for Dallas. Well, start with winning a game uh, and getting back into the series and then actually winning the series later on. They're going to need to continue to play well on the defensive end and probably play well on the besides Luka offensive end too. All right, well, that wraps up our look at the NBA playoffs for this podcast. It also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. However, we will continue to look at NBA playoff action on our next podcast, which will be on Monday, May 9th, where we will also see the accuracy of Patrick's weekend predictions. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick check out Patrick's additional content, including those weekend predictions that were posted on Thursday, his MLB power rankings that were posted on Tuesday, and his NBA power rankings that were posted on Wednesday. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.